You're tuning in to the Wild, Weird, and Sometimes Normal podcast. If you have a story or a guest recommendation that you think others need to hear, email me at wildweirdandsometimesnormal at gmail.com. Let's get this started. Alex and Brett, kick it! On this episode, I'm joined by Tony Zambotti, a mechanical engineer with over 30 years experience. On September 11th, 2001, Tony, like most of us, watched the tragedy in New York City unfold on television. Everybody knows that World Trade Center Towers 1 and 2 collapsed. But did you know that another skyscraper collapsed that day as well? Building 7 collapsed at 5.20 p.m. on September 11th. The official narrative is that burning debris from the towers started fires on a lower floor and caused structural damage that made the building collapse. It's the first skyscraper in history to collapse due solely to fire. Watching the replay of Building 7's collapse didn't sit well with Tony. The physics didn't jive with his decades of knowledge and experience. Building 7 collapsed at near freefall speed, something that only happens during a controlled demolition. Even in reviewing the NIST report on the collapse of Towers 1 and 2, Tony found errors in their reporting. When Tony performed the correct calculations, it showed portions of Building 1 and 2 fell at near freefall speed as well. Tony has written and co-written a number of papers proving his allegations. He has appeared on prominent television and radio programs explaining the physics of the three buildings that collapsed. Additionally, during the podcast, Tony states who he allegedly thinks did it and how. Check out the show notes for links to Tony's papers and interviews as well as organizations trying to get a new official investigation. Enjoy the show. Are you looking for CBD for your pet? My friends at Pure Pet Wellness have what you need. They use the highest quality ingredients. While other companies may use synthetic oils in their CBD, Pure Pet Wellness uses organic ingredients, organically grown hemp, organic coconut oil, organic shea butter, organic beeswax, and that's just to name a few a family-owned and operated company that also offers fast shipping. Go to purepetwellness.com for all your pet's CBD needs and use the discount code WILD and WEIRD at checkout. That's WILD, A-N-D, WEIRD. Treat your animal right. Go to purepetwellness.com. Are you looking to buy a home in New Jersey? Escape the city and move to the suburbs? Finally purchase that vacation home on the lake or down the shore? Maybe you're one of the lucky ones who are retiring and moving out of state. If so, let me help you. Keller Williams and the Real Estate Professional Group have what you need to make your goals come true. Reach out and have a conversation with someone who will put you first. Contact Brian McCoach at 856-321-1212 or email McCoach at kw.com. Welcome to another episode of Wild, Weird, and Sometimes Normal. I'm your host, Brian. And today, my guest is Tony Zambodi, and he is a mechanical engineer for over 30 years. Welcome, Tony. Hi, Brian. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, no problem. It's a, if you're interested in it, it's quite a story about 9-11, the New York City occurrences. Right. So I'm, I'm very interested in this story, and I just want to preface everything for all of my listeners. I know where people are different points in their journey. Tony is a mechanical engineer. And we are going to be talking about the World Trade Complex 
as a whole. Building seven is going to be a focus. If you're not aware of building seven, that's something people should get caught up on. You can watch the videos and I'll link it in the show and everything. But what we're going to talk about is Tony's expertise as a mechanical engineer and the things that he viewed on TV that day. I believe he spoke to some of his colleagues and helped him with this opinion and over the years of watching different videos and interviews. Now, people who were in high school and college around that time, there was a video that came out called Loose Change, and it may have you know, pushed people in certain narratives or directions. We're not getting into any of that today. We're not here for the, the who, the what, the how, the why. We are here to look at the buildings as a buildings as a whole, while still respecting the people that passed away on that day, being in the New Jersey tri-state area. A lot of people have ties to that event. That pain never goes away. So we want to respect those people, but taking away the people from the event and looking at the buildings as as buildings. Correct, Tony? Exactly right, Brian. Let's dive right in. Tony, you have been on national broadcast. You've been on... Ronald Rivera had me on back in 2010, and it was about Building 7. <laughs> so... Uh, I was on there with a family member, Bob McElvain, from the area, from the Philadelphia area here. He lives over near Fort Washington. I guess the town is called Orland, O-R-E-L-A-N-D. Now, his son was killed, Bobby McElvain Jr. He was killed. He was 26 years old at the time, and he was going in. The, he didn't work in the towers. He was going into the North Tower for a meeting on the 106th floor. He worked down the street of Merrill Lynch, and he was killed going into the building in the lobby he was and i saw his autopsy face sheet only the front of his body he lost it's you know this is hard to say but he lost an arm an arm was blown off in half his face his back was not injured it was like sunburn slash tan all the wounds were to the front in front of his body so he there was a frontal blast and that was in the lobby i was on Gerardo with but his father, Robert McElvain Sr. The work I've done, I wound up doing work on 9-11. In 2006, a lot of us realized there were some problems with the story. Well, with the investigation, what they discerned. And and basically, the way we looked at it, we want a new investigation because we're our research, many of us, and you're talking about some high-level people, have discerned that you know what they're saying happened doesn't explain it. It's inexplicatory. At any rate, I can just give you some background. I was telling you before you, we went on the air that how I got into it. I'll just give a brief, try to say that in a few uh, couple paragraphs, I guess. Anyway, the day of of nine eleven, I was in. A, we were in a design interview in the morning. I was working with BA Systems in Lansdale, and the guy gets a phone call uh, that a plane hit the towers. We're, we're thinking of Cessna or something like that. And then 15 minutes later, this is like nine o'clock in the morning. It, there's another phone call and it's another plane, but it's an airline. Well, now we know there's some kind of problem. So at break time at 9 30, everybody went out to the it was the auditorium we were in for the presentation was right next to the cafeteria. And they had flat screen TVs at that point. And uh, BA Systems was a you know good sized company. And nobody went back in because we're we're watching the towers burn. And, you know, I guess it was 9.57, the uh, the South Tower went down first, 9.56 or 9.57. And it was actually hit second. It was hit, the North Tower was hit at 8.46 and went down at 10.28. 
An hour and 47 minutes later, the South Tower was hit at 9.03 and went down at like 9.57, like 54 minutes later. And anyway, it went down, and it was it was surreal to watch that. And everybody was still there at right around 10.30 when the North Tower went down. And all I remember thinking is it's just like flowed to the ground. I couldn't believe the the speed at which with which it collapsed but you know planes hit it you know and then it comes out there terrorist so that night coming home from work i'm listening to the radio about it and i guess it's about six o'clock on route 309 i live in south jersey and lansdale's over in pennsylvania and uh <clears throat> on the radio they're talking about a third building that completely collapsed and they said it was 47 stories tall and i'm thinking well i, I couldn't it was hard to picture that completely collapsed I'm, you know and that's what they said and i'm picturing myself in a in a, the uh parking garage in the basement of a large skyscraper you know big concrete encased columns i'm saying how does that just give up the ghost i'm thinking oh it must have been right up against the towers and been uh you know gutted pretty hard and that's what i was thinking and i was perplexed because it didn't make a lot of sense well, in early 2006, a physics professor from BYU wrote a paper uh, because uh, he looked into the, the, he might remember, a lot of us remember, the pile uh, was very hot. And fire doesn't, this guy put a, put a uh, he, he, he felt there was thermite in those buildings. So I looked at, I, but prior to that, I should say, I'm sorry, in 2004, I was watching the History Channel. And the owner of Building 7, Larry Silverstein, was on there. And they had already had the, the um, there was a contest for the design of the new tower to replace the Twin Towers, if you remember. And there was like four smaller buildings. It was going to be a new 110-story building, and then a 70-story, a 65, and a 55-story building. And the owner of Building 7, Larry Silverstein, was on that show. Well, in 2001... He leased the towers, the Twin Towers, from the Port Authority in New York, New Jersey, for 99 years for $115 million a year in 2001. That's important to hear. So Larry's on there, and they showed an artist's rendition of the new tower, and it was a guest host. Sandra, the show was called History's Business at 8.30 in the morning, 8.30 to 9. And they would have past and present titans of industry, CEO of Southwest Airlines, Verizon, people like that. And I watched it because it was a show on after it called uh it, it was a talk uh, a forum type thing so um at any rate because i did watch things about the kennedy assassination i want to say that i don't uh immediately believe any conspiracy theories i think it's it's corrosive to us to just take it without serious evidence well there was serious evidence in the kennedy assassination turned out this brutal film was withheld and all that but at any rate that morning larry silverstein's on the show beforehand at the end of the show, they were talking. The, uh, the host says, well, "What happened to seven? And I would swear on any one of my relatives' graves. The guy said, "Larry Silverstein, the owner of Building Seven and the leaser of the towers, said Building Seven was a controlled demolition." I wasn't suspicious. I said, "Oh, that makes sense. That's why it came completely down." But two years later, I started referring to this earlier. This physics professor from BYU, Stephen Jones. Put out a 47-page paper that it looks like there was thermite in those buildings. And the reason for it, what got him going on that, was the heat and the South Tower, when it before it collapsed, there was molten 
metal coming out of its corner that was damaged and it was orange yellow well that's not aluminum aluminum fluoresces silver and gray in daylight it's iron so how did you get that iron coming out of there and it's a pretty good stream it's going on video so at any rate i had to read his paper as a physics professor i was wondering if it was you know i wasn't i didn't have any any total thoughts but i had to read it after i read it, it was pretty convincing and only at that point did i say having seen that silverstein say it was controlled demolition i said this is early 2006 when did they get a chance to set the charges i didn't question that you can't set up a 47 story building in one day okay and the the video i saw the, the history channel show i saw i was contacted by a guy from paramount studios several times about five six years ago and he was looking into that because i held it back and i asked around if anybody had a copy of that show might have been fifty thousand people watching that show it was a very esoteric show but this guy daryl hannah from from he worked at paramount he got a hold of a guy that worked at arts and entertainment archives in connecticut and the guy told me told him he says well it's not around the guy winds up quitting arts and entertainment archives and he tells him that that episode of that show was removed okay so even the when i saw it, they they got rid of it no it's not in the archives because i put the word out that i had seen that and you could never find find a, a copy of that episode so that's apparently that's what happened to that well i wound up getting involved in this and i am a mechanical engineer we are our forte is structural and thermal fluids so in looking at the the uh I wound up getting involved from the perspective of dynamics with the towers. Building seven actually was in free fall acceleration. The whole, if you see anybody that's seen the video, and I'm sure you have, you prompted other people to go look at videos of it. It comes down to full free fall acceleration. The whole, that building, each floor is an acre. It's trapezoidal, but it's 333 feet on the long side, 247. That's 144 wide. I mean, a football field's 360 by 150. So you cannot, it's the size of a football field almost. And it comes down in full free fall acceleration. Actually, just the 100 yards, it's the size of a football field. I'm, I was talking the end zones too. So it's beyond, it's strange credulity to believe that. Well, what happened was after 2006 or so, they hadn't put out the report. And this put out the report in 2008. And they said it came down by fire. You know, I had already seen the guy admit it was a controlled demolition, and all the characteristics. Okay, when you're in free fall, you can't be doing any work because all the energy is converted from potential to kinetic. If you do any work, that's going to rob you of energy and and slow you down. Right when you when you hit something, it has to give up energy to what it's hitting to damage it or crush it or whatever, and that slows down the energy you have if you're in a fall. I mean, we've all experienced that, right? You, you hit something when you're in a jump, it's going to slow you down, right? Or in a drop. Well, it's in full pre-fall for eight stories, Brian. Eight stories. You're you're talking 100 feet. Those stories were 13 feet each. It's like 104, 105 feet. You know, because there's a drop ceiling, the ceilings, you know, they got all the beams and the and girders and the, the uh, ducting under, you know, above the drop ceiling. So I don't know, you know, this puts out that report. So building seven caused me to wonder, 
And then when I looked at the towers, and I'm not alone, a lot of a lot of engineers and others, scientists and other people have looked at this, and uh, it turns out the North Tower, this this professor from, uh, he was a religious studies professor, Graham McQueen, a very sharp guy, well-known, and uh, he just passed away. At any rate, rest his soul. He was measuring, the, there was forums you could go on at the time. This is 2006 and seven, maybe seven or eight. And, you know, once we got onto this in 2006 or seven, there was a lot of interest in this. So he was measuring the North Tower, the antenna. And uh, by the way, I worked at the place that built that antenna stack on the North Tower. It was before my time. I worked there. It was RCA Broadcast here in South Jersey in Voorhees. That was built in 78. But that was a stack of different. It was more than one TV stations. It was 360 foot tall and 353 tons, I believe. And it, it, was, it, was, it was a substantial structure. He was measuring the antenna. I said, can you measure the roof line? And the reason for that is if you measure the distance per unit time, you can get the velocity, right? You do what's called the derivative in calculus, and velocity is change in distance per unit time. So he measured it and gave me the, the distances per unit time, and then I differentiated that and determined the velocity, and it turns out it never decelerates. Well, they're saying it... it the building came down naturally. Well, you you can't do that. The, the building is designed. It can take more than its own load. We have what's called a factor of safety. And that building had quite a factor of safety. It had six rows of eight columns with one row having just one. So it was 47 columns in the, what they call the central core. And that was 135 feet wide or long by 85 feet wide. Those columns had a three-to-one factor of safety. The exterior columns, because they had to take not only the gravity load, but the wind load and seismic loads from earthquakes, right? And they were they had a capacity of five times the actual gravity load on. So you had an average factor of safety of like four to one. So in order to defeat that, you can, and you need what's called a dynamic load. And a dynamic load is where you have an impulse. And what happens is, I can explain this by, if you took a, a TV, the force of the of the impact is equal to the static load plus the mass, that's mass times acceleration, right, Newton's second law. And then dynamic load, it's the static load plus the mass times the deceleration. So to get this amplified load, which is what we call dynamic load, you need deceleration. So the static load can't defeat it because the columns under it could take four times what that static load was, right? But it couldn't take it if it hits it in an impulse, if it's enough of an impulse. So we wrote a paper, Ram and I, once I realized there was no deceleration called the missing jolt. There is no jolt that doesn't decelerate. And there's more than enough time in the measurements to, to see it. And then it would take, because it would take so long to ramp back up the speed. So what, what happens in a in a deceleration, I just want to give an example. If you had a TV stand that could take 200 pounds and you had a 40-pound TV on it, and you just put the TV on, of course, you realize it's not going to break it. But if you take that TV and lift it five feet in the air, and everybody has a life experience if they drop something, this is why a glass breaks. It doesn't break when you set it on the table, when you drop it on the floor for three or four feet on a hard floor, especially a hard floor. And here's why that happens. 
The rate of gravitational acceleration is 32.2.174 feet per second per second. If it decelerates at 10 Gs, right, that's like decelerating at 32, 322 feet per second, okay, per second. So what happens is you have the static load, which is equal to 1 G, plus this 10 G dynamic addition. So now you have the force is 11, 11 times the static load. So that 40-pound TV now acts when you dropped it. If it decelerated at 10 Gs that fast, it would act like it weighs 40 times 11 or 440 pounds. Now you can see where it could break it. You see what I'm saying? And that's what happens with a glass when you drop it. It doesn't happen on the table. It, because it's especially on a hard surface because it stops very quickly because nothing gives. When we package things for shipment, we put them in foam or something that gives, right? And that slows that slows the the deceleration, makes it a longer duration, and the G's are lower. So it doesn't, so we don't break the package. You need to know the fragility when you do packaging. At any rate, so you need a deceleration in order for the upper section of the North Tower. It failed at the 98th floor. And by the way, that's above where the aircraft hit. The aircraft hit on a 10-degree downward slope at the 95th, 96th floor. Its wings were rolled to port 25 degrees. Only the starboard wingtip hit the 98th floor. There was so little damage. NIST didn't even show any damage on that floor in the report. They showed it on the 93rd, 94th, 5th, 6th, and 7th, not the 98th. But that's where that's where the collapse started. And it's clear. You can see it in video, any slow motion video. So, And then on top of that, the next floors that go are 99, 100, 101. You wouldn't expect that. If it goes to 98, you'd expect the, the lower floors to start collapsing. No, the upper floors, though. I have an opinion on why that was done. And the opinion is that the aircraft hits were, it, I believe I believe the buildings were controlled demolitions. Okay, Building 7 certainly was. It looks like the towers, without this deceleration, you can't do it naturally. So it looks like it was, there was charges in it. And we want, we want that investigated, and it hasn't been done yet. So at any rate, if you can't get it naturally, you have to develop momentum. The, the plane hits, I believe, were causal ruses. That's what I was going to say is my opinion. They were causal ruses. Make, oh, plane hit it. Turns out the plane damage, there was 47 core columns and 236 exterior columns. No more than 20% total were, were destroyed. Okay? And when the building came down, the, let's see, north and west is, the, the northeast corner and the southwest corner, that building was 207 foot on a side. So the diagonal was 292 feet. Those two corners come down within seven tenths of a second of each other. If anybody thinks fire could have done that and caused that rapid a, a succession of failures, you know, I'd like to see them. I'd like to see the analysis on how that can happen with a fire. All right. So at any rate, it looks like there was charges in the building. And the reason they would have blown after the 98th floor, they used the 98th floor, whoever did it, because the charges wouldn't have been, charges had to be there prior to the aircraft hit. And they would have been above the aircraft impact zone, wouldn't have been disturbed. Now, why do you want to blow the floors above, like the 99th, 98th, up to the 101st or 102nd? 
is to get the eight stories above that, there were 110 stories, to have momentum to do what I was saying, to have to at least get through the zone where the aircraft could have disturbed charges. But it didn't need to do that, okay, because there was no deceleration. So not having any deceleration shows you it points towards the structural integrity being removed artificially, that it wasn't a natural collapse. And that's mostly what I've been involved in. And, uh, you know, I'm not the only one involved in this. I've looked at it over years, and we wrote a few papers about it. And um, there was a fellow from uh, Northwestern University, a professor named Bazan. And not long after the towers collapsed, there was a I heard on the radio that it was a 20 or 30 G impulse. And that came from him. And he wrote a paper. Actually, this is interesting. Two days after 9-11, September 13th, 2001, he submitted a paper to the Journal of Engineering Mechanics, which is an American Society of Civil Engineers journal. Two days after, there's a seven-page paper purporting to say what he think caused it, that it was a dynamic load. A powerful jolt. So in 2009, when Graham McQueen was measuring that tower, he said we should do a paper, and he knew of a, a, a senior a civil engineer professor who's in his 80s now by the name of Bob Coral. And I worked with him, and we did a paper called The Missing Jolt, where we critiqued, we showed that there was no jolt. We showed with measurements. And Bizant never measured it. He just assumed there was a natural impulsive load. So later on, Bazan in two, early two, 2011, he wrote a paper trying to refute the missing jolt that we wrote in 2009. And then these journals allow you to write a discussion paper of a paper they published, if there's any errors. And myself and another Canadian professor by the name of Richard Johns, who also worked with Bob Coral and New Graham. Bob's still alive, and so is this other professor by the name of Richard Johns, who's an engineer and has a PhD in the philosophy of science. So we wrote a discussion paper showing that Bizant's paper was wrong, where he said there, he said you couldn't see it, that it happened too fast. But what he does in his paper is he minimizes the size of the columns. And it's sort of tricky because he, he shows Lyotard's factor of safety of three to one. Then he gives what's called a plastic moment. That's the energy to, like, if a beam or column buckles, that's the energy to, to make it completely forward and it turned out the plastic moment was for a column that was much thinner walled like more, less than half the thickness the wall thickness <laughs> so we show that he also uses free fall acceleration for the first story but when you measure it it's like it's moving at like 6.1 meters per second he used 8.52 that's important because kinetic energy is a function of velocity squared if you square six, it's about 36. If you square 8.5, it's about 72. So he doubles the energy from the velocity. Then he minimizes the, he underestimates by three times the strength, the absorption capacity of the columns below. And he also used the maximum design load of the towers, not the in-service load. There's a difference. If you build a building that could say it could handle 500 million pounds, did you only have 400 million pounds on it? Well, that's what you actually have to use in the analysis. He used the maximum load they could handle. That's not, that wasn't accurate. So he basically, in his, in his paper, 
he basically embellished it by all by 11 to 12 times so in reality what would have happened if that if the north tower had started to collapse at 98 floor naturally and richard johns and i our calculations showed this it would have arrested after two stories the columns below would have absorbed that energy and two stories stopped the fall and that's based on the velocity it was actually which you can measure you can measure the roof line so we know what the actual velocity was we also know what the column sizes actually were because the core column sizes were released and we also got information on the uh, perimeter columns so there, there's a problem and like i said i don't i think i told you before we were on the air i don't believe in conspiracy theories unless i'm presented serious evidence in this case unfortunately there's serious evidence that there was something else behind that besides the airplanes and that's what we want reinvestigated all right tony a lot to unpack right there i'm going to try to summarize some things and then ask a couple questions if that's okay sure so for reference building seven's 47 stories the Borgata right. in Atlantic City, the hotel part of it, the part that you see as you're driving Atlantic City, the big purple, and it says Borgata on the side, is 38 stories. So for people having a hard time visualizing, you know, 47 stories, and you know, you're like, oh, well, he, 470 feet. But just like picture the Borgata just disappearing into its own footprint right. instantly. It, right. It was 610 foot tall, Brian. Right. 47 right. times 13 is 13 foot per story because 610 foot, that's enormous. Okay. Right, right. And it's an acre. Get an idea of yeah, and, you know, what and, we're talking and, about. And a football field in area, each floor. Right. And the Comcast building in Philadelphia is 60 floors. So that's almost, we're talking about World Trade Centers, almost double that. Right. The towers one and two were almost double. Yeah, they were the 110 stories. Right. And in Philadelphia, if you look up at the Comcast Center, you get disoriented and like, I need to look back down and, and find my space on Earth. So these were coming down at, different aspects of free fall no building seven was an actual free fall there was oh, a physicist seven, right one and two free fall. one right. and two were like uh two-thirds of free fall okay which is very fast i'll tell you how fast that is if you're if you ever drag raced that's a 13 second quarter mile oh, it wow. may be 12 seconds like 12 and a half to 13 seconds that's really fast i believe the news was the towers fell they were talking about the pancake effect does this yes play into it a little bit the free fall does this incorporate the free fall or is the pancake effect just not what happened well you can't you can't be doing that you're not gonna you're gonna decelerate much faster i mean it picks up steam but the problem the act full free fall is a problem because that means it's not doing any other work all the energy all the potential energy that is being held here held up is all of a sudden falling all of it's becoming energy of motion which is kinetic energy right if you drop something it goes from potential to kinetic if something's in the way the object is falling hits it and if it's harder it could damage it but it's going to slow it down if nothing's slowing it down it means something else is allowing the thing to fall and in the case of a building there's structure under it that means the structure has to be being removed by another mechanism Right. So all the support beams on building seven had to fail at the exact same time, or otherwise we'd have had more of this pancake effect that, that building one had. You would have had the pancake effect of whatever story it started to collapse on, that weight then would have pushed down. You're talking about the the G's and the and the glass breaking on the floor. You would have had that power dropping down from even if it was just the 30th floor and above, you would have collapsing on the 29 and 29 on the 28. But instead you had all 47 stories 
going at the exact same time. And the chances of that just happening naturally, I mean, there's something on. Right. Just, yeah. It just but is. Mentioned the molten fire coming out of the corner of the World Trade Center building. Building two. Building two. And there are newspaper articles that talked about that there were fires burning in the basement of the World Trade Center, buildings one and two, that were burning through December, that they couldn't put those fires out until right. December. Right. And that's where this physics professor from BYU got involved. Thermite is used to weld railroad rails for the railroad. Okay. It gets very hot. I think the temperature is around 4,000 degrees. Steel melts at 2,800. Actual fires in air. When a fire in air, the hottest it can get is 1,800 degrees if it's using free oxygen, okay? It's not a blast furnace. It can't melt steel. It can soften it pretty good, and 1,800 degrees is going to remove 90% of the, of the strength. But here's an interesting thing, and Rudy Giuliani was involved in this. Mr. Rudy Giuliani, the former mayor of New York City, they got rid of most of the steel before this could analyze it. NIST actually admits in their report they only got one quarter to one half, 0.25 to 0.5% of the steel from the World Trade Centers. They got two core columns from the fire-affected zone. Now you're going to do an analysis. And they did two tests. One was a mud cracking test where the, the paint and the primer cracks at 250 degrees C. At that temperature, steel hasn't lost any strength. It doesn't start to lose strength for another 100 degrees centigrade. Okay, 350, which is somewhere around 560, 600F. But at 250, it hasn't lost any strength. They found no core column. They only had a few that exceeded 250 degrees C. They only found a couple exterior columns that got to, they got more of them that got to 600C. At 600C, steel's only lost, lost half its strength. And that and all the perimeter columns they got weren't at 600 C. So and that and the perimeter columns could take five times the load that was on them. So this doesn't make sense. Why was that steel gotten rid of? I'd like to ask Rudy Giuliani that personally. Okay, when his office was asked that by a woman who lost her son, a firefighter, I think her name was Sally Rein Reinhardt. They said we thought it was prudent. That's the answer the woman got. We thought it was prudent. And you're doing an investigation. You're going to get rid of the forensic evidence? They did. This they is incredible. steel to China and India. That's right. And they, they yeah. melted it down. Yeah. Uh, so an investigation. And uh, I want to say they said they used it to, to build the uh, USS New York. They used 24 tons. The ship is about a 13 to 17,000 ton ship. They used 24 tons of World Trade Center steel, like one column. Okay. Maybe a three story section of the towers had each column section. They built them in three story intervals. Building seven was in two story intervals. Like they don't build one story at a time. The columns are longer than one story. And then they're spliced together as you go up. But at any rate, they probably used one column. So when they said they used World Trade Center steel for the USS New York, it was 24 tons. So. That's like my car being built in the United States, and I go in the owner's manual, and I see like 74% of it's in South Korea and everywhere else. But, you know, I guess right, but that, that, was, that's all right. But I just I don't want people <laughs> to think that they saved a lot of the steel. They didn't. Right. So the steel I, for the USS New York was a very small amount. Right. So everybody remembers the iconic photograph, the front page of the newspaper, and it's a couple dozen feet 
tall and it's like the remains of a crown, like a king's crown is kind of all broken off in the smoke and the firefighters there. But most of the buildings itself, like there wasn't enough rubble to make up for 110 story. Most of the building was was vaporized, right? Um, I don't know. I don't think it was vaporized. Um, or powdered, or dusted? Well, yeah, and and I don't. So I, I, I do. I do have to say, like I said, I try to scrutinize things. I don't believe whoever set the charges, and I believe there were charges in the building. They didn't need to blow up the floors, the concrete. Those floors were lightweight concrete. Okay, the truss work under it was very sturdy, extremely sturdy. But the floors themselves were four inches, and that would bust up like that impulsively. You were it was became a grinder after after five stories of the fall. Okay, and and you know they would need the charges initially, maybe for the first ten to twenty stories. After that, it's going to do it naturally. Okay, and, and that would break it up. Oh, like did that. I dustify? That would be okay. That, that's yeah. That's what would, you're it here would, for. It would break it up in in the some level of uh, of dust. And if you did have charges on columns, the blast wave would would blow that dust out further. And I think a lot of the dust. There was a lot of dust in all in Lower Manhattan from them, and I'm sure people have seen the videos of people running down the street with a big dust cloud coming around the corner, chasing them down the down the street, right? Right. So just naturally, with the the tower coming down and and the the weight of the floors that would grind the concrete. Yeah, I think that that could happen. That part of it could happen naturally. Okay. So I, I try to be objective. I'm not, you know, I'm the question asker, and you're setting me straight. So I yeah. appreciate it. And then anybody can also just go watch any documentary on the building of the World Trade Center, which itself is just, you know, amazing. And you're seeing, you know, these people just have their lunch pails up there and they're hanging out a hundred stories in the air, just sitting down, having having a quick sandwich. Uh, I, I get on my two-story roof and I'm like, ah, I, I need help. I need I need a harness. Help me. Right. Uh, but so if you watch these documentaries or, you, you know, go read about the construction of the World Trade Center, that... The columns were on the outside. This was one of the first buildings, I believe, that had the columns on the outside of the building. Yeah, columns. this was a tube within a tube type construction. But that and, that works. The reason it works, you're moving. They say that pipe is stronger pound for pound than solid. And the reason for that is for bending, it's something called moment of inertia that limits the stress. The bending stress is equal to the moment or the bending moment, which is foot in foot pounds times the distance to the neutral axis of the beam or the building is just a cantilever on end, right? Over the moment of inertia. So this moment of inertia is in the denominator. The greater that is, the lower the bending stress. Now, moment of inertia is a function of distance from center. Okay, if you imagine a wheel, a big wheel will have more inertia than a small wheel. So in a, in a round section, it's a function of diameter to the fourth. Okay, in a prismatic section, it's a function of h cubed, well, bh cubed. If you have a square section, the, the moment of inertia is one twelfth times the base times the height cubed. So the bigger that distance gets, the greater the moment of inertia, and that's where you want to put the material. So, like I said, with a pipe, if you have a pipe that's bigger in diameter with the same amount of material as a smaller diameter solid that bigger diameter pipe, if it doesn't locally buckle, it's harder to bend, much harder, okay? Because the material's moved outside and it's diameter to fourth or height to the third times the base. 
And that's what they did. They moved material out to the outside perimeter, and that made those buildings withstand more wind. They could build them taller, right? Because the, the moment arm gets bigger, right? And the cantilever, it's, it's like a cantilever beam put on end. It's a column. So they could build taller because it could resist more wind. The, the higher you get, the center of pressure is at a higher elevation, and that's creating a greater torque. Well, the more moment of inertia you have by moving the material to the outside, the more wind you can resist. And there was a famous engineer that first started building like that, and he built the John Hancock building and some other buildings. And then the skilling that the engineers in the late 60s that, that uh, designed the World Trade Center copied, they they took from him. You know, they, they, they used his concepts, the tube and a tube. I proposed my wife at the John Hancock building. It's a, oh, okay. It's, a, it's, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, they have the, I think the observatory is the 96th floor, and then there's a restaurant on the 95th floor. So we yeah, I think it's like 102 floors or something, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. there's definitely, there were floors above us. And and if yeah. you're on the 90, I think, I think the restaurant's the 95th floor. And, you know, there's tables at the window and everything, and the other side right. of the floor is a bar, and you can hang out. And it's weird looking out the window, and you see helicopters flying below you. Like the news, <laughs> below you. yeah, and it's just like such a strange mental picture. It's not like they're landing; they're they're flying. No, they're moving. Jobs. They're going yeah. somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and you're just sitting there hanging out with a drink in your hand, and yeah, uh, that's that's <laughs> a that's a different experience, right? Yeah, weird feeling. Yeah. All right, so I wanted to cover. All right, so comms running outside. We had that. We we talked about the building could be dustified naturally. Of course, that could naturally, 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 right? And according to the New York Times, in an article on September 11th, 2021. They had an article on how there's still over 1,106 unidentified bodies. Right. Unfortunately, you know, but that could, you said that could be naturally from the thing coming down. So well, the, well, I, if there were charges and, and, and it was, it was, would have to be once it got going, it was quite a grinder. Right. Okay. That was tremendous amount of impulsive. once it got going, but we, what we're shown by saying that the, 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 there's no deceleration initially, you would have needed that to get it going. It's important that it couldn't get going naturally without that deceleration. Once it got going, a large number of stories that it, it could happen naturally. Right. What does thermite do? Thermite is used to weld steel, and apparently they use it in cutter charges. And and in the last twenty years or so, they've developed what they call nanothermite. And I, I worked for a battery company for a few years, and they were making nano powders. So you, you pound it, you grind it into nanoparticle sizes. And what happens there, a reaction is a function of, of uh, surface area. For instance, TNT, believe it or not, chocolate chip cookies have eight times the energy density of TNT. The difference is your body metabolizes a chocolate chip cookie over maybe 24 hours. So it doesn't release all that energy right away. The TNT releases it in a few millionths of a second. All right? So what happens... Normal thermite is used to weld rails and for other functions. It's it can cut things too, but it's micro micron size powder, so it's not explosive. The reaction takes a certain amount of time. It gets very hot. But Lawrence Livermore Labs and some other, I believe, it was Lawrence Livermore, developed what they called a composite nanothermite. When they made it smaller, it's got more surface area per unit mass. So that surface area is what the reaction rate is dependent on. 
If you're going to react with more surface area per unit mass, it's going to happen faster. Well, the faster it happens, as, as at some point it becomes explosive. And it depends on how it's contained also. And there actually is cutter charge designs for thermite. Nano, well, thermite, just thermite, but nanothermite can be made explosive. Depends on how fine you refine the powder. Right, it's sort of like everybody knows, like sugar, if it's refined enough, can burn. You wouldn't normally think that, but there's sugar factories that burn, right? If it's fine enough, and that's because of the reaction rate. That's sort of the oxidation rate. This is what's going on there. And what would cause so for thermite to go off? Oh, you have in to a fuse. in a field test. What would what, would that be? A, a charge? There's some kind of fuse for it. A fuse. Okay. They light yeah. it. I don't know what's magnesium ribbon or something like that that burns very hot that lights it off. Okay. And all that yeah, yeah, that's that right. This right. They, you can radio well, they radio control controlled demolitions. Right. The charges yeah. today, I mean, for the last 40 years, I think, or 50 years, they've been radio controlled. So you're not somebody's not going in there with a match or <laughs> with a torch. Ah, the good old days. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I think they're wirelessly controlled. Right, that makes a lot more they, sense. And they did wire them for years. You know, you have a, a wires coming out. It's well networked. But today, I think you can do a wirelessly. So, and you could also test if a charge is still active. Okay, I mean, you can do that remotely to see if something. I mean, that people are doing this with their thermostats now. And in two thousand one, we could do that. Right. So you could just have them. Um, uh, you know. You know, cell phones weren't what they were then, but you almost like an app type thing and see like active, active, active. Inactive, yeah, well, active, right, active, right. Active. Well, it would have been computer control. You would have right. a computer there and you could do that. Perfect. Right. Uh, awesome. So you mentioned seeing Larry Silverstein on a news article, uh, on a news program on the History, on the Channel, History Channel right? in 2006. No, and... 2004 that was. Oh, sorry. That, that was right after, right after, then the reason I... I say that is because they had a contest for the new tower design. That contest was decided in December 2003. I mean, this was after that because they picked the design. They, if you remember, they were going to call it the Freedom Tower. And it was going to have an antenna like the one I, from where I used to work, RCA, on the corner. It was going to be 1,776 foot tall. Well, they wound up moving the antenna to the center. The new building we have now is One World Trade. It's not called the Freedom Tower. It's, they went up called it One World Trade Center. There is, I'm sure you can see on YouTube or one of the user uploaded video platforms, but there is a video from September 11th, 2001. I believe it's a BBC reporter. Uh, they're filming and Larry Silverstein is in the background of the shot and you can hear him. He's either talking to a police chief or a fire chief and they're talking about building seven and they confirm with the, using the term pull it. Right. They'll pull it, pull it, pull it. And the police, uh, the the chief or, you know, the, the first responder says to Larry Silverstein, hey, you want to pull it? And Larry Silverstein says, yes, pull it. And they walk away and they walk past the shot and you see them on camera. And the news was saying, oh, they meant pull all the people out of the building. Well, one, there was no people in the building. It was, you know, it came down, what, four o'clock in the afternoon, five o'clock in the afternoon? 520 uh, in the afternoon. Yeah. 520 in the afternoon. Every, everybody was evacuated. And they had been out of there since 930. Right. So they're yeah. saying pull it. And they said that it was meant to pull the people out, but pull it in a demolition lingo. Well, they meant, they're saying they meant to pull the firefighters out, uh, Brian. But pull, okay, there was pull no the firefighters. firefighters. So civilians then fire, pull the firefighters out, pull the first. You see what I'm out. saying? Yeah. 
And then also, on the other hand, pull it is a demolition term for right. pulling a building down. So, you know, either one, you know, they could be right on that. But it is interesting right. then that the physics of it is a free fall. So we have that. Have you ever worked with architects and engineers or are you in a similar group or is this? Yeah, I was a member. I was, I was probably the, I think I was the 55th member. Yeah. And I know the president of it. It's Rowan Angle. He's an 80, 81 year old professional engineer, civil engineer. And he worked on, he was, he was a Green Beret. Okay. I guess in the early sixties and he worked on missile silos. All right. These are legitimate people. All right. This isn't a fruitcake. All right. He's the president of architects and engineers right now. I believe they had, from a year or two ago, I, I heard that they had a lawsuit in the works, and I'm not sure where that stands right now, but they were apparently making some headway. What would an investigation look like at this point if there's there's not a lot? The evidence is, you know, a video. Right. We don't there's there's not physical evidence. It, it went to well, China and I, India. I can say, I can say. There was a second investigation of the Kennedy assassination in the late 70s, the House Select Committee on Assassinations, because the Zabruder film that shows the guy Abraham Zabruder made a video and it showed John Kennedy's head going back into the left. That was kept from the public. Jagger Hoover didn't release that. He just showed stills in the Warren Report. Well, Gerardo Rivera <laughs> showed that in March of 1975 when the public saw they were telling us he was shot from the right rear by Lee Harvey Oswald. And, and the Zabruder film shows his head going back into the left. How's, how does a shot from the right rear cause that reaction? Right? So that caused a lot of people, you know, of course, it, it, there was a lot of, uh, I don't know what the word is, uh, a lot of response to that. Okay. And it caused the uh, House of Representatives determined there needed to be another investigation. A lot of people had been pushing for that. And Richard Sprague, the former uh, district attorney in Philadelphia, was to lead it. And he, I think he was doing a pretty good job. And uh, then he got somebody else took over. They determined at the end of that, they went down to Dealey Plaza and did acoustic testing, firing shots from different places. They determined there was at least four shots, if not more. At a bare minimum, four shots. Well, Oswald couldn't fire that many shots in the time frame that it all occurred. So... Their final determination was they can. There was a conspiracy. There was at least a second shooter, but they couldn't determine what the conspiracy was. So the U.S. government position on the Kennedy John Kennedy's assassination in 1963, presently since 1979, is that it was a conspiracy. Is if you have two people or more, it's a conspiracy. Right, a conspiracy isn't this dirty word. It's two people plotting. That's all, that's all it that's is. All it right. Is. right. Yeah. And it, so it'd be interesting if the, if the last documents of the uh, the Kennedy files are ever released, Trump was supposed to release them and then Biden and everybody keeps kicking the yeah, can. But I, I, I wouldn't hope anyway. for much, much, much there, Brian. But, but the point is, what I'm trying to say, there was a second investigation of the Kennedy assassination. They couldn't determine who they think the mafia was involved. And then later on, it turned out there was rogue CIA members. Okay. And Frank Church's committee uncovered a lot of dirty tricks that RCIA was doing. And I'm not saying it is doing that today, okay? But at the time, there was a lot of dirty tricks. There was assassinations of foreign leaders in Chile and in, in the Congo, things like that that weren't. John Kennedy, one of the, the CIA during his tenure was problematic to him, okay? He even said he wanted to break it up and reconstitute it, okay? 
So it's sort of like if you have a bad police force. Camden had a really bad Camden's police force was broken up and then reconstituted, and it's gotten a lot of accolades. So you can get corruption. Okay, that's probably what is going on. Right. I'm going to steer us away from Kennedy so we can focus on 9/11. But I would right. love to just talk about that for hours too. I, that's one of my favorite topics. Right. They could do another investigation. So okay, it's my my question for you. So the TV show MythBusters, and they have all and and NIST, and these people who, and I'm not saying MythBusters understands all the physics they're talking about, but they make a, a good program and they make you believe they do anyway. Why are they coming to the same conclusion, reinforcing what NIST said? I never saw their program where they put on something to do with 9-11. Is they, they actually tried to show that fire could do what this says? They, they said that fire could melt the steel and that everything was fine. It can melt up a jet fuel. That's not true. I, yeah. And the jet fuel, <laughs> let me let me say something about the jet fuel. Those planes were not maximally fueled. One was a 7, there were 767-200s. Pentagon was 7, 757. But two, two planes hit the Twin Towers were 767-200s. They had a 24,000 gallon capacity, but that was for a 7,700 mile range. They were going a little under 3,000 from Boston and I think Boston and, and, and uh, Newark to LA or San Francisco. So they only had 10,000 gallons on them. And this even admits the first 5,000 gallons went up in the fireball on impact. Now you have 5,000 gallons. And I've done this calculation. And I remember the exact figures, but it spread. First of all, it was atomized. It spread on furniture and everything like that. They admit it was gone in 10 minutes. So the jet fuel did not contribute to the collapse that happened at least an hour later. Close to an hour later and an hour and a half later in the second tower that collapsed. So it wasn't the jet fuel. They were saying it was normal office fires. There's never been, never been in the, in the history of steel frame buildings. A steel frame building collapsed by fire. So I don't know what Mythbusters did. You can bend the beam if it's long enough and you get enough stress on it and, and heat it up and, and show it will weaken and, and buckle. Of course, they might have done something like that. You're not melting the steel. In air, fire, there's a name for it, but a fire in free air cannot get hotter than 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit. Steel melts at 2,800. Anybody that says the steel melted is absolutely wrong. Couldn't happen. It could soften it and weaken it. But then you have these other problems. The fire burns out. It doesn't stay. The whole building's not lit up. Fine, the jet fuel lit it up, but it was only there for 10 minutes. And then it did light it, but it wasn't across the building. There's no way that 300 feet away, those two corners could come down within seven tenths of a second due to fire. And that strains credulity. There's only one way that could happen. And then you don't have any impulse. You don't lose any, any, any velocity coming down. That means something's taking out the structural integrity below. It's like taking the legs out from under. That's what had to be happening. A few years ago, there was a high rise in England that had, I think it was like an asbestos type covering or they were doing repairs on it. And the whole, the whole outside the building right. was lit up. On I remember it. I don't remember the name. Yeah, I forget the name of it, but visually, I mean, you know, and unfortunately, people, you know, they died in that, so it was you know, very sad. Right. But visually, this was like, you know, a movie. It was an inferno. Was crazy. And it was yeah. an inferno, right? And that building still stayed standing. And that was yeah. a lot more visually fire than when you just saw the planes hit and then like that initial fire. And the smoke poured out, so there were fires inside, but not not like 
what we saw in that England fire. So very well, yeah. fire is too is too haphazard. It's too random to cause that. I mean, you can get this whole progressive collapse. Let's go back to Building Seven. What this tries to say is the East Penthouse went down and the whole East Side collapsed, and then that progressed east to west. But while the interior is collapsing east to west, the exterior shell they said remained intact. And then once the inside was down, then it came down on its own. What, in sympathy for the inside? In their model, you show when something is too tall and slender, it can buckle under its own weight. So columns in a building, like 47 stories, 610 foot tall, the, the beams are laterally supporting the columns every story. Now, depending on the strength of the column, it could go five stories without lateral support. But it can't go 15 or 20. And in this model... They sure as hell do deform when there's no support for 15 or 20 stories. The whole side caves in. That's not what we see. The thing stays intact. So that means it's not being whittled out inside like that. It's being taken out. Eight stories are being taken out down lower. And this whole 30-some story chunk of the 47-story building is coming down at like 70 miles an hour. That's what caused it. So based off of what they said... Would you expect the building to topple more instead of coming straight down? No. The reason, oh, oh, I mean, if it was this fire, if yeah, it was the, the interior, that. that the interior came down first and the outside then came down in sympathy, yeah. would, you, would you expect that to topple over to the have, side as opposed? Have. There's much more of a chance of that. You're exactly okay. right. Yeah. But for both of those buildings and then 47 to come down and all three in their footprint and 47 in free fall. I mean, we're talking about hitting the lottery every day for on the same day, on, on the same day, virtually in the same section of one the same city. Right. I feel like the England fire was was a Greenwich fire, possibly. I did jump to my Greenwich. Head. I, I it might have been that. that yeah, yeah, I think that possible. sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. The Pentagon. Do you have any thoughts on the Pentagon or anything with that? I really that stayed just... away from that because, um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't opine on it in any any solid way. So I stayed away from. It. Right. And I don't know how tall the Pentagon is, maybe 20, 30 feet, but that didn't come down in free fall anyway. So we're not right. getting into that. NIST is the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Okay. And they did the the 9-11 report. They did the official 9-11 right. report. Well, they didn't do the, initially it was FEMA. And, and actually they had some volunteer engineers walking through, looking at the steel. Why would you have volunteers? That doesn't, that that's like, when I heard that, I'm like, why did you do that? And then, oh, you only saved a quarter and a half percent of the steel, really? It's just hard to hard to take in. Right. Even taking on face value that it's terrorists hitting a plane, that's a giant crime scene. And That's exactly right. Get down to what happened. You know, you probably, first responders, like, let's find people that are still alive and pull them out. Right. That's, that's great. But now you're having volunteer people who are not first responders contaminating the scene. And then getting rid of all of the evidence to point to right. the crime. Well, nobody was killed with Building 7, and it was 350 feet north of the North Tower. Why did they get rid of that steel? And Jonathan Barnett from the Worcester Polytechnic Institute, who's a forensic scientist, forensic engineer, he said normally when you have some kind of collapse, and some you, you get partial collapses, no steel frame building ever completely collapsed by fire. You might have had some part of a building collapse a little bit here or there, but not some giant collapse like that. So uh, he said, normally, you know, you pick up, you, you map out where 
different items are and you identify them and you look at what the failure, you know, they photograph. And then they study later to try to piece it together what could have happened, right? He said they couldn't do that because they got rid of the steel, okay? Right. When there's a, a plane crash, they rebuild that plane as much as they can That's to exactly see where, right. you know, where it faulted. And but That's right. People go, oh, no, it just crashed. But this is what they're saying with the buildings. They, they're not trying to get down to exactly. You can't improve now the next building to, That's right. to withstand what happened. You if, know, if, you know. if what happened were, were actually in a natural event, you'd want to design against it. Right. And, and the, the interesting part is most, most of the recommendations weren't followed by the building trades, engineering firms that design high rises. They weren't followed. Because other than some fire protection stuff, but the, the actual structural recommendations weren't followed because they weren't, unfortunately, that that's not what happened. That's why they didn't follow it. So what is your hope that's going to happen? Do you, is, is there any traction going in this direction of reopening the investigation? Are you still well, active? Still, yeah, there's not, the investigation is not active. And, and, and I don't hold out a lot of hope that there will be another investigation. And we showed this where they were absolutely wrong on what they said was the, the initial mechanism cause of building seven, that a beam went off its, the girder went off its seat because of thermal expansion. And they actually, we showed that whoever did the report, they said the seat was 11 inches wide. The beams could only expand 12 inches or six inches. They said that the, the seat that the girder sat on, the girder was 11 inches, was only 11 inches wide. In reality, it was 12. They had to correct that. Then it turned out they left off stiffeners, these 18-inch high stiffeners. They said the I-beam went off the seat, and when it went past the web, the flange wouldn't be enough to sustain the load. But that had 18-inch stiffeners on that they left off. That's pretty stiff. You know, when you were a kid and you bent the, the, the 12-inch drawer, when it's flat and you bend it, it's easy. When you turn it like that, it's a lot harder. But that's what those stiffeners do. That flat flange, fine, that would curl up. They're saying that's what happened. Then it turns out somebody found it in the drawing that got released. There was 18-inch high three-quarter-inch stiffeners. They call them partial height stiffeners. That would have prevented that beam from ever, that flange from ever curling up. When we found that out, we confronted this. And we had a lawyer, a famous lawyer, who represented the Martin Luther King family, William Pepper, writing us the letter. Their response finally was, we don't agree, we stand by our work. That was it. Convenient answer. Yeah. For this thermite, for the charge to go off, are there any seismic readings or anything prior to the building moving? Like, would that. Would yeah, that there was a lot of discussion about that, that there was charges in the basement. They were timed to go off. I think it looks like that happened when the aircraft hit, but there was a, a janitor, William Rodriguez, that said there was a boom in the basement before the aircraft hit. He heard both. And other people did too. And other people testified that they know people that got hurt bad in the basements. There was big doors that were blown open and stuff like that. So there could have been pre-weakening in the basement of some core columns to put stress on things so that they, when they did blow it, it starts to come down. And you also had to get the corners because when you have a rectangular building or a square building, the core could pull in the, the the exterior columns that are facing the core, but the corners are odd, so they had to be pulled in. 
So there's some talk that the corner core columns, which are very massive, where the three columns in the core were taken out down low in the basement to put stress on that. And then the, the rest of the core was blown and it would pull in the corners up top when they blew that. It would all. And then basically what they did, they took the, whoever did it, it looks like the central core was taken out. This is for building seven too. The central core is how you take it out. A famous uh, interview with a, a Dutch uh, demolition expert, Danny Joanko, who happened to die in an accident on a Sunday afternoon with his dog coming home from church. He gave an interview to a Dutch journalist, and he didn't know about Building 7. And he showed him the video. And you might Maybe you saw this, maybe you didn't. This is a while back, 10 to 12 years ago or so. He showed him the video. He says, that's controlled demolition. Only then did the reporter tell him it happened on 9-11. Danny Jank, this happened in 9-11? You serious? Yeah. So he says, I've got controlled demolition. And the guy shows him a map, a planned view of the columns, exterior, interior columns. Then he said, you only had to take out the core, the heart, he called it. And that's the core. So what you do, you take out the core. Now, in Building 7, you can see it. You take out the center of the core first. Now, the east penthouse is already gone. I think that was just taken down on the top of the building because it was eccentrically located. And you don't want that when the building's coming down to fly off. So that was taken in the building. What you see is the center penthouse area go down first and then the west side. If if the east penthouse had been there, you'd have seen the center and then the two sides split second later. The reason for that, and I want to give you this mechanism, if you want to maintain, take this building down and keep it in its footprint, you first pull down in the center to pull the sides in. Then you pull the sides down. So they're going in and then coming down. So it keeps it in and compacted in that footprint. And the towers, because it was a top-down demolition, which is unorthodox, but it's been done on buildings too. Okay, there was one done in Mississippi not long ago, or, or I guess 10, 15 years ago. So you can show it is done. It wasn't as big a building, of course, but it was done. At any rate, with a top-down, the, the, the core gets pulled, and then that pulls in the exterior. But what they did in the case of the tower, the corners are a pain in the neck, okay, depending on the building. What they did in the case of the towers, and you can see this on the corners of chamfers. Well, on either side of the chamfer, it's not a fully sharp corner. Either side of the chamfer are the beam connections. And if you look at David Chandler's film, North Tower Exploding, it's only like five minutes, you'll see expulsions on either side of the chamfer, like a machine gun coming down. So it looks like if you have a box, the corner doesn't, if you cut the box, it just flays out. So what, if you're taking the core out, you want the sides to come down too. If you cut the corners, that mass coming down just pushes them out. Well, if you look at FEMA's debris map, it looks like a flower petal that or four petals. And that's what it looks like happened. And then when you look at the expulsions coming out of the northwest corner, it looks like it's a duck. They were controlled demolitions. What's the official narrative for Building 7? Fire. Just it's, fire. They say down. a beam Where came off. Where did the fire come from? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Oh, oh, they said the fire came. I, I say something about this, and I'm glad you asked that. They said the fire was caused by debris from the towers. Now, Building 7 was three, at least 350 feet away from the North Tower, the second tower to come down. The fire on the North Tower is between the 93rd and 98th floor. That's at 1,100 feet. The towers were 12 foot per story. So it's 11 to 1200 feet up there, right? So 
that means burning embers, burning things for building build the Twin Tower, the North Tower. The South Tower is like 600 feet away, so forget it. But 350 feet, it would have to fly all the way over, right, and hit the building, and it has to be burning material. And let's not forget, when that building starts coming down, the North Tower, there's a lot of dust, and that's going to quench the fire. That's going to cut off the oxygen. It's, it's like a, a fire extinguisher, powder fire extinguisher, right? So now you have that working against having something hot enough and able to be thrown horizontally far enough to hit the building. There was fires on 10 floors, I think, in building seven. Okay, and it also started, they say the fire started in, I guess it was the southwest corner. And then it worked its way around to the north. It's pretty hard to imagine that those, well, there's several things. It's got, it's it's only up at 1,100 feet. It has to travel 350 feet. It has to hit 10 floors. And, and and not go out. And it's only five floors. It's only five floors that are burning, five or six floors. Doesn't make a lot of sense. And no fire was noticed in Building 7. The North Tower went down at 1028. No fire was noticed until 1215. There's no photographic evidence of any fire in Building 7 until 1215. So it looks, it doesn't, it doesn't look right. It just doesn't look right. And of course, Building 7 had a sprinkler system. They had tanks up at the 46th floor, big tanks, I don't know, swimming pool-sized tanks. And all of a sudden, they said, well, the lines were broken due to the, fire, the tower collapses. But the tanks were for the first 20-some stories, the top 20-some stories. The bottom 20 stories were, were supposedly charged with, from uh, city water, and they said that was broken in the... Uh... So they said it started on the 13th floor, a beam in the in the northeast side of the building walked off its seat, and that precipitated a collapse. Or that went down to the next floor and broke through five floors. When you're doing an analysis on that, even if that did walk off its its seat, which is hard to say because they left those parts out. Remember, I said the stiffeners, and they said the seat was wider. Even if it did fall off, you can show analytically it could not break through the next floor down. You can show that absolutely. Okay, I showed it. This guy Norton said did a an analysis, and I proved that he was incorrect. What did I say? I'm trying to remember how I proved he was incorrect, but he wasn't correct. He can't break through it, and I can send the information that shows it cannot break through. So, and that was Nordenson. That was for the Con Edison sued Silverstein Properties, and it was a court case in 2009 and 10. And A. Rob, who was a part of that. Uh, he's right here in New Jersey. He's a he was a professor at Princeton, and and he couldn't argue that I said it couldn't break through. So another group, Weidler, did a did an analysis, and then they said, and this is different than this. Oh, it was on the ninth and tenth floor between the core and the exterior on the east side that collapsed, and it was superheated to like seven hundred fifty to eight hundred degrees centigrade. Well, how do you get those kind of temperatures? Where's the fuel for that? All right, but they, they, they never showed their thermal analysis. So you never see complete studies. And if they do what Nordenson said, what did he, I'm trying to think. I, I don't remember. I, I do want to show you how I proved Nordenson couldn't be right, that you couldn't break through the next floor down. If the one floor dropped in building seven, it can't break through the next floor down. 
And we had all the numbers, we had all the, the sizes and the strength of the materials. So it's absolutely true that it can't break through. So it's nonsense. It didn't start the way they're saying, and there's no way free fall occurs without charges. Just can't happen. So it's very frustrating. Yes. It has to be really frustrating for you. Like, you know, the things that you're saying, uh, you know, I could go Google and, and get a physics book and, and double check this. You're speaking with such authority with us, and you've written papers and, and all this other stuff. So, right. very credential on this. This is hard for me to think, you know, why, why are government institutions who are studying this, why don't they see the data that you see? This has to be mind numbing for you of, of like somebody saying two plus two equals five and everyone's agreeing, like, yeah, that's five, that's five. And you're like, what are you people talking about? Like, it, right. how are you missing this? Like for right. me, I'm the guy, going, you know, I'm like, oh, they told me two plus two is five. So I'm like, I'm going to agree with it. But you know, for a fact, like you, this is your background. This is what you've been doing. Right. Well, it is frustrating, Brian, but like I said, you have to, I get concerned because people like, and I will say Donald Trump was cynical enough. If everybody thinks everything's a conspiracy, it's very dangerous to do that. Then a con man can come in and tell you and commit crimes and then say, oh, the deep state's trying to bother me. It, it's, it's problematic. So I'm saying there are conspiracies, you know, law enforcement district attorneys and and uh, u.s attorneys prosecute conspiracies all the time but don't believe it they don't prosecute without evidence is what i'm saying so don't hook on to a conspiracy theory without evidence so 9-11 is not really a conspiracy theory we're saying there's evidence that is different than what the investigation showed it's like saying if somebody was prosecuted wrongfully they reopen the case that's the kind of thing we're saying. Okay, but I don't want people to, I want people to be very careful on what, believe in a conspiracy without evidence. 100%. You should, yeah. you know, some of them are fun to think about. Well, uh, the alien serious. stuff and things like that, that's fun. That's fantasy. We all, it's interesting. Like I told you, I watched Ancient Aliens. It's, it's fun to entertain that fact that maybe there could have been that. Who knows? Okay. Right. That doesn't fact, hurt anybody we, anywhere. That doesn't no, and same diminish thing with, your life or turn you into this obsessive compulsive without the background or the knowledge of, of what is true. So some of them, right. fun. Stick to the fun ones. They're enjoyable. Bigfoot, is right. he out there? I don't know. There's some right. interesting stories. I've never seen them. I'm right near the Pine Barrens. I don't know. But right. if you're going to go down this road of you know 9-11 or something else, just don't believe the first person you hear. There are other people out there, credible people, doing research, presenting papers that are out there that you know you might have to you know go back and do some basic physics yourself to understand what they're saying. But I feel like a lot of people. You mentioned you know Donald Trump though, and everybody wants a savior from some side, and it's easier to say it's not my own fault. It's somebody else is doing this to me, and people right. tend to cling to whatever this is of like, hey, I'm right. Like it's not because I'm not trying hard enough, or you know, the luck didn't break my way, or whatever it might be. There's always that's something. why the prosecutor Jack Smith said, "Read the indictment." He said, "Read the indictment." That's what we need to do. We need real evidence in front of us before we believe something. That's all I'm trying to make sure everybody understands. It's very right. important because we could hurt each other otherwise. Okay, you hurt innocent people. Yeah. Right. It just has to be tough, though, for you to have the background, to have the knowledge, to do aspects of this in your work, 
and then watch people do sloppy math and tell you that it's right. And you're like, That's it, it, not is. What it, it is. It and, is. And, you know, it, it's, it's not easy. And that's why I, I wrote several papers and got involved with other scientists and engineers looking at it. And we're, that's why I spoke out. It's, yeah, I didn't want to, it's not something I wanted to do. It was, but you can't let, if you know something isn't true, and people have been harmed by it, you almost have an obligation to say something. And that's all I've done. No, I appreciate that. I, you know, thank you. People like you who see that there is a problem with the obvious narrative and to come out and then back it up with the work that you have, you know, I think this goes a long way. And we're still too close to, you know, 2001. There's a lot of people, you know, I was 20 something, I was in college when that happened. Pete Davidson, famous comedian, actor, his father died in 9-11 and, you know, he's, I don't know, he's 20 something or whatever. But I, I feel that as people get older and you get away from the moment and then looking back, so back in 2050, rationally. right, but in 2050, are there going to be enough people, year 2100, they're just looking back at this as a historical event and not tied to it. Like Revolutionary War, nobody has any strong feelings and you can look back and dissect what happened without being like, oh, well, the newspaper said this and it must be true. They can go back and you know, find whatever archaeological evidence and put it together. But in a couple of decades, people will go back and look at these videos, look at these studies and go, oh, no, they made the mistake here. And like this was actually correct and this and that. And it'll be a footnote in the history books because nobody's tied to it anymore. They're like, oh, actually, Building 7 was a controlled demolition and people just move on with their lives because it's so far back in the past. But I, yeah. I don't think that we're at the point. Hopefully, architects and engineers they can move forward. They did have a lawsuit. I'll try to find that and put it in the show notes. I think that might have been the, there's a there's a group called yeah it's lawyers for 9/11 inquiry inquiry i n q u i r y. I think that's who that's has a lawsuit. I think okay. I haven't been in touch with them for a while, but I think they that's who has a lawsuit. Okay, yeah, I'll try to update it in the so, show notes and not tied to you, but just so people can see. You know, hopefully there is some movement going forward. And I know there's some survivors, uh, family members, and even people who perished. Uh, you don't hear who are trying to move forward with this and and get to a new investigation, right? You don't hear what I mean. One saving grace with me, and actually, I was saying this to Rowan Angle last night. I was talking to him from the president of Architects and Engineers for 911 Truth. I was on a Zoom call with a guy from Scotland that I was talking to them. Yes, actually, yesterday. Uh, Sunday and uh, and I so I called Roland and I said you know no matter what happens and what we've done here by speaking out was put some pressure on whoever did this and covered it up is trying to keep it covered up at the very least there's been pressure applied okay so that that would likely make them loathe to just they they wouldn't be uh, emboldened all right because there was some pressure applied. Even if they get away with it, there was pressure and they had to look over their back. So it was important to do what we did, even if we don't achieve a new investigation. And like I said, the Kennedy assassination, the actual official U.S. government pop or, uh, narrative on that or, or, or position is that it was a conspiracy. It wasn't just Lee Harvey Oswald, if him at all. He was a part of it. It looks like he was a patsy, like he said. Okay. So, I mean... You know, in 9-11, if we didn't speak out, you could have had other things happen. We don't know what other things might have happened if we didn't speak out and, and, and apply public pressure. 
But it's very important. I can't get this across enough. It's very important for the public not to lose all faith in our government because I don't think everybody in our government was involved in 9-11, okay? There's people trying to do good things. We need a government to maintain a civil society. And, and you don't go about things like they did on January 6th of 2021, okay? That's not the way to do it. We don't get a new investigation if somebody's strong enough in government to stop it. Fine, we apply pressure. But the whole government's not rotten, and we haven't had another 9-11 type thing or something where I see our government did something completely wrong. And then in, in places where I think they did, I've said it. The Kennedy assassination, 9-11, very possibly Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy's assassination were conspiracies. I don't know as much about them, but I did look at the Kennedy assassination, John Kennedy said, quite a bit. There's no doubt in my mind it was a conspiracy. There's no doubt in my mind 9-11 was a conspiracy that hasn't been. Well, even it was a conspiracy, even if you say it was the hijackers, because there was more than one person. Right. So no matter and what. Osama bin Laden, yeah. So it was a conspiracy one way or the other. The, the problem we have is who were the real conspirators? And we right. don't think they've all been caught. No, oh, yeah. So fact. If you take the official narrative, there was a conspiracy. And then on the other side, it seems that the buildings were in free fall. So that could be a second, a competing conspiracy. And that's fine. You know, I, th I think you've pr provided the data for that. Uh, and you're saying, don't, don't lose faith in the government. We don't even know who that second actor is, who that group of people. Well, we're saying the government didn't uncover the second conspiracy. Oh. Okay. If you're waiting but for the they... government to, to do anything right. I mean, there's, there's billions of examples of you know, what wasted money and studies that yeah. they do and, and, you know, trying to teach monkeys Spanish and sign language at the same time. Like it is, you, you see, well, they do do, they product. do do some good things. And if, oh, without oh, yes. a government, we would have anarchy and that would be a problem. Oh, so right. No. It, yeah. It's, it's sort of like the old, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater is what you have to remember. hundred percent. Right. You know, you can't go off the deep end with this. You have to recognize that. Yes, there is some level of evil in society. And sometimes it happens in, in big ways. And and the people that do something like that are going to have a plan, but they don't always get everything right, okay? And for instance, in the Kennedy assassination, they didn't get it right that John Kennedy had a big right hole in the back, right back of his head in the Parkland doctor said it, and you know about that. And then they didn't get it right that his head would go back into the left. They had to, everything doesn't go right. Well, in this case, what I did, and coming back to 9-11, there's no deceleration. You're saying it came down natural. Well, that's part of it. Well, somebody had to point that out, and we did, is what I'm trying to say. And and, and the free fall also of Building 7. Yeah, I, th I think in the near future, you know, it could be decades from now, people are going to look back with clear vision and see what you're talking about, where it's not so emotionally tied, which I think we're still right. at this point. It's only been 20 years. Right. So in normal time, child moves out of the house in 20 years, off to college, wherever it might be. But in the grand scheme of history, 20 years was yesterday and still raw emotions. Right. Do you have anything else? Do you want to cover any any other avenues you want to go down? No, I, I just, I'm trying to remember what I I did with uh, with that beam falling in Building 7. Nordenson that used the point load. And actually what would have happened was it wouldn't have applied as much and I can show you evidence for this because Rowan Angle and I did a project called Project Intelligence, and that's being used as a presentation by like 50 engineers around the country. We're giving presentations of 
American Society for Civil Engineering Branches, and National Society of Professional Engineering Chapters. And the pandemic slowed that down. We started like the end of 2018, but I had a house fire. I lost my old computer and all. So I, but there's, I can download that. It's like 130 slide presentation, but that particular calculation I did is there. And I want to send that to you. So I'll download that PowerPoint. I'll just show you. It's the beam with five. It's a girder with five beams coming in it. And if that fell, I'll, I do a calculation that shows why Nordenson, why it wouldn't have enough of an impulse falling, I guess it's 11, 12 feet, wouldn't have enough energy to break the welds on the seat of the beam below, of the girder below. So it's only like four pages. I'm not going to send 130 pages, but I can download that from the internet and then uh, send that to you. And I have to download it anyway for other reasons. Yeah, perfect. So send me the link to the internet so I can put it in the show notes and then just up. Oh, the I'll right give you the link to Project Due Diligence, which is which is very it's all engineering oriented. Yeah. Okay, send I'll me, send that yeah. to you. And I have the two papers you sent me. I'll put those in the show notes. And any other right. papers or any type of direction you want to point people in, any type of links like that. And I'll I'll definitely throw them in the show notes. Right. Well, they were the main things I was involved with. And and the project due diligence, that 130 page presentation it would be good for people to go through. And there's a video on that site. I'll send you the site link. It's called Project Due Diligence. And it actually, there's a picture of Rowan Angle giving a presentation to some professional engineers in the Mississippi and Alabama branch or chapter down there about five years ago. Rowan gave a presentation. He flew over. You see, he was from right outside. of. He was from Alameda. It's right outside of San Francisco. Right outside of Oakland. He's, he's in Idaho now. But he's, he's quite a fellow. And you, you'll appreciate it when you say it. Oh, great, Dan. No, I can't okay. wait to look at it. That's perfect. You said currently you're you're not active anything. So you, people, there's nowhere to follow you or or people to stay up to date or support you in any way? Do you have anything? Yeah, like that? I don't. I, I only ever wrote papers and, you know, I support architects and engineers and I helped Roland generate that presentation. You know, I'm an, I'm an individual contributor type person. And I don't have a website or anything like that. Okay. You know, but I... So, I mean, the papers is the way you're supposed to do it. And I was involved in signing requests for this to do a new investigation, but that just keeps getting put off, you know, so. Yeah, hopefully we'll see one day. But well, I mean, George, George Stephanopoulos asked President Obama when he was president-elect in December 2008, because we already had a feeling that there was something wrong. And I watched it. It was a Sunday. It was the ABC Weekly, that Sunday morning show. It's George Stephanopoulos. He was already doing that for like five years at that point. And he asked President Obama, he said, uh, a new 9-11 investigation. President Obama said he wanted to look forward, not back. Well, his hands were probably tied. Okay. I think the guy was an R.A. guy, but I think his hands were tied. What was that? What? There would have been so much pushback. They even tried to bring the... Prisoners in Guantanamo Bay here, and guys like Rudy Giuliani, who I think was involved in the conspiracy. I'll say that straight out. Rudy can sue me if he wants, okay? He got rid of the steel. There's there's multiple lines of evidence to show him and Bernie Carrick, who was a convict. And Bernie Carrick has, doesn't have a college degree. Rudy Giuliani made him his police chief of what? I think the New York City Police Department is 40,000 people. Rudy Giuliani made Bernie Carrick his police commissioner. Think about that. And Bernie Carrick, I think it was, I think it was September 12th. 
I don't know if you can, we can still find this video on the internet. Rudy's giving a press conference, and this lady reporter asks him about some explosives. And Rudy says, he looks back at Bernie, and Bernie comes up, no, there was no explosives. How the hell would he know on September 12th there was no explosives? Think about that. Bernie Kirk, this is the guy that got went to jail for wire fraud and other, okay. And he doesn't have a college degree, and he made him, and he made him the uh, police commissioner of New York City. And, and then he was also using some people donated apartments for firemen that were from out of town and all. Bernie was using a couple of them to have trace with women, you know, have affairs. This is the guy we're supposed to believe there was no explosives. Yeah, September twelfth seems yeah, September twelfth seems too soon to make any determination on anything instead of saying yeah, the investigation is still ongoing. Yeah, yeah and I talked about this guy Bazant that he wrote the paper two days later. And they printed it. And then we refuted it. And they refused to print our refutation. It's true. Where would you even get all that data in two days? That's just crazy. You couldn't. You're exactly right. uh, That's that's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You can't make this stuff up. Yeah. But it is important to put this in perspective is what I'm trying to say. I don't want to excite everybody that our government's all rotten. It's just like having a, a few bad apples on a police force or whatever. Okay. It's a big thing, though. Okay, and you got to try to do something about it, but don't give up. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Is all I'm saying. Be oh, careful. No. And anybody allegedly involved in in this entire conspiracy should be prosecuted to the fullest extent That's of all right. and, and held to the maximum accountability from any point of government or civilian or whatever it might be. That's right. Uh, yeah, a sad day for a lot of people and and for the nation as a whole. And to not have the proper investigation given to it is a tragedy. Well, we had- of a tragedy. You know, I gave a presentation at the University of Hartford. I guess it was 2011 or so. There was a lot of family members there. And they thanked me. Okay. I, any family member I ever talked to thanked me. So I'm not trying to. This particular thing was a crime that we don't think was resolved. It wasn't. Okay. We don't think the investigation is is explanatory. You know, and, and then family members have to walk away. It's very frustrating to them. You know, to have somebody killed in your family and then the, the investigation doesn't, you don't get closure if, you, if there's no real justice, if they don't catch the right people. And the people I believe that pulled off 9-11 are still at large. At least a right. lot of them. And if there's glaring evidence that you're proving and pointing out in your papers as one of the family members has to be extra hard. All right. you want is is the right thing to be done by your loved That's one. Right. And it's it's just being completely ignored. Right. Yeah. yeah, and you know, you can't uh, you can't really blame Obama for not going forward with that. No, no, I don't. I don't. Yeah. I'm saying. Oh, yeah, yeah, I didn't went... say you were. Just in general, as a person, I mean, no. day one of a presidency going down that route you. would have tied his hands. He would have been quote been unquote like the kook. It. Yeah, but that would have been it. And they, you know, yeah, the, the narrative was already out there. This the again quotes the science was already out there. And for a day one president to make a 180 on that, not That's a right. great first. President. It was impossible for him to do that. Yeah. If you notice, I don't I don't see a lot of politicians using 9-11 to work people up anymore. Because the public has gotten some semblance that there's something fishy. Okay. And then and then you're taking the power out of their hands to incite you. Right? If it was a Machiavellian trick, which is what it looks like, okay. If you remove the image or the the mirage. They lose, they don't, they, whoever wanted that power law loses it. If, if the public no longer believes the mirage that's set up. 
that's so there was if you were saying as far as frustrating i can take some umbrage or, or, or feeling of accomplishment that we may have done that and a lot of that's done through fellows like yourself you know telling people about it but i i have to say to be cautious not to believe everything is a conspiracy because somebody can then trick you if you become vulnerable into doing something that you shouldn't be doing, you know, and hurting innocent people. Right. I think one of the benefits that we have of the internet now is this whole crowdsourcing that once a, a video is out or any type of thing, you know, people are able to geolocate, they're able to cross-reference who is in that video, and you have the entire force of the internet behind you breaking down one single thing. So you're talking about this Machiavellian thing. It gets harder and harder now that there's live streams of everything everywhere and people are able to do this now in real time and right. talk to more people. Where in 2001, there really was only CNN to watch. There wasn't multiple news coverages of this. Like you were watching your local 6ABC. CNN was the thing on there. YouTube was, I think YouTube was just starting. YouTube might not even have been there. Right. My, MySpace, you know, so Facebook's not even there, which connects people. Twitter, which is instant, uh, Instagram and things like this. That all now people can worldwide instantly connect. And well, but if it's a lie, if it's in. if it's a lie, you got to be careful. If a lie gets around and it's not true, you know, so that can get around fast too. There's two sides to that whole. Oh right, I'm saying you're having educated people from across the world in real time looking at this and going, "Oh hey, I'm I'm an engineer it's, in Japan, and this is this wouldn't happen." And you know, well, there was things like that. There was talking about that. I mean, it was on TV. I think it's University of New Mexico or Van Romero was the professor's name. And he actually said that had to be charged to the building pretty quickly. Okay. And then he got funding from so they got funding and he actually, well, I don't know now. He, he had to back off it very quickly. He said there was charges and because there was. Right. And that's something that's never really crossed my mind. You know, I've heard this thermite before and I've seen the video building seven go in free fall. And not really processing how that, that comes, how that comes to be. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. oh no, I saw it happen in freefall. And like, well, how did that happen? It all just failed at the same time. Yeah, but how did that happen? Oh, somebody went in there and placed detonators at some point, or plus placed explosives and detonators, and then from a distance, let that all go at the same time. You kind of forget that whole point right. of how did that come to be? You know, very. Uh, yeah, so definitely something afoot. Hopefully we can, uh, hopefully this gets solved at some point. This is- Right. Well, I can say, I want to mention one more thing about Rudy Giuliani. Sure. He created, out of whole cloth, a new agency of the New York City government called the Office of Emergency Management in the late 90s. It had been, I think, a uh, an auxiliary duty of the New York City Police Department for 150 years. He wanted a new Office of Emergency Management. And guess where he put his bunker? When he called, they called a bunker. On the middle floor, the 23rd floor of Building 7. And then he didn't use it that day. But uh, I, I'm, the reason I say this is because I think that's how the charges are planted. That job to outfit that Office of Emergency Management floor, so the whole floor, was a $13 million job. And they had access to the whole building for life systems and emergency power. Okay. So New York City, Rudy Giuliani got the city to pay for a job that I think was used as a cover story to plant charges in the building. And there was people that argued with him behind the scenes not to do that because the 93 bombing in the basement of the of the North Tower, they're saying, well, that's where, you know, they're a target. What are you putting the emergency office there for? And he insisted on it. And it was a $13 million job and they had access to the entire building. 
that's my end. I can't prove that. But if I, you know, when when investigators or, or detectives or, or prosecutors are looking for trying to solve a crime, they have to speculate on something that has logic. That has logic. And the other thing about the towers, as far as planning the charges, this is important to say. There was a, an elevator renovation project in both Twin Towers at the time of the collapses. It was going on for eight, nine months prior to that. The towers each had 99 elevators in them. It was a plan of 36, but they had staggered. Like you would take a, an express up to the 44th and 78th floor, they call them sky lobbies, and then take a local, right? So they had like three sets, right? Three tiers of elevators. But there was 99 total in each building. So that's 198 total, right? Otis Elevator designed that system. Otis is a big elevator company. In fact, their owner or the, the founder invented the elevator, right? Otis designed them in the late 60s, early 70s and installed them. And they had a maintenance contract that they wound up losing. For years, they had it. They lost it to this little-known elevator company named Ace Elevator in the late 90s or mid-90s, okay? Ace Elevator gets the contract in 2000 or whatever to do the elevator renovation. Now, I don't have to tell you what you can do in elevator shafts unobserved. Remember I told you the core columns? Okay. So now let, let me go a step further. In 2011, and I'm sure you can still find this. I had it on my old computer. I told you I had a house fire. And it didn't collapse, by the way. But it was gutted. <laughs> okay. But to make a long story short, in 2011... The Associated Press put out, and I had a copy of this article, the Empire State Building was doing an elevator renovation of their 67 elevator system. And the production manager for the Empire State Building said right in the article, we only allowed Otis, Tyson Krupp, and Schindler to bid on the job because of the job, that level of scope and magnitude. We felt they were the only companies that could handle a job of that scope. How did a little ace elevator? And I think the towers were 80, 90% of their work. And I don't even know if they're in business anymore. How did they get that job? See what I'm saying? So the Empire State Building would have been easy for them. It's a third of the job. They could have got that done overnight, probably. Well, they didn't. No, my no, point no, no, is no, that they was, did no, no, a right. big job. But a, the Empire a third State of that, they weren't a lot of bid on. Yeah, a third. Of, but, it was only a third of the work. Yeah. And they only allowed these big companies that are very sophisticated bid on it. A job that's three times that, they let the contract, Otis, they have Otis pushed out by this little company, and then and then the towers collapse. Okay. And this they were shutting down elevators. This is just supporting mom and pop elevator shops. That's all this is. This is just New York right. City looking out for the mom and pop shops. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, absolutely fascinating. And I'll try to find that article and put that in there. Uh, yeah, and that, that, was, that was a joke that was saying they could do that overnight because it was a third it of the was, job. Yeah. yeah, it was the Chattanooga. It was about the new, the new, the Empire State Building elevator renovation in 2011. I think it was June of 2011. Back to the Office of Emergency Management that it was in the middle of Building Seven. Right. That you would think if there was a disaster anywhere in New York City, granted the the mayor can't run out of New York City to stop the problem. You also need to be far enough away to handle the situation while not compromising your safety. For instance, the governor of New Jersey, there's a place called The Rock, and it's the state police building in Ewing, New Jersey. And it's outside of downtown Trenton, and it's just a complex that has the building of health and, and the governor. And if there's a hurricane or, or even something major was to happen, like that is his, they, you know, they call it The Rock, and it's like super secure for him and everything. But it's far enough away where he's at safety, 
It's reinforced safety for him and his command center. So right. giant screens and all this other stuff. So that would make sense. It's a state as a whole too. So he's not doing this in in Jersey City or you know something or Hoboken and like these tall towers. But that's right. a safe spot for him. You wouldn't think that you would put, especially after the 1990s bombings. Right. You would not. You would not bombing. put right the 93 bombing. You wouldn't put this command center. Your yeah, your command center. You wouldn't put your command center in the middle of one of these buildings. You can't even get out if there was an issue. You you put it right in the middle. That's exactly right. And he didn't run down 44s. Like, that's crazy. And he didn't use it. He didn't use it. Yeah. He didn't use it that day. Uh, Yeah. Definitely suspicious. Right. That's the right word. Yeah. 100% is suspicious. And allegedly, if he's involved in it, you know, he needs needs to get looked into too. And him being the peak of it or or somewhere close to the top. Anybody allegedly involved in it needs to be looked at. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'm just giving you a starting point. Rudy was involved in the decision to get rid of the steel. Okay, that's super suspicious. He needs to be questioned yeah. about it. That was a crime scene. Yeah, and just saying we thought it was prudent wouldn't be enough of an answer. No, that that definitely is a pass. That's a media pass that they're letting that answer slide. Yes, exactly. Um, like where was the, where was the contract to take that steel? Like that that has to be who was involved in that? There's some digging involved in there, right? Well, so, when you're I, thinking I, about it. What's that? I, oh, I'm, I'm definitely I'm definitely thinking about it. I was going to say I appreciate your time. If there's more you want to cover, I'm I'm here for you. No, I don't have anything else to say tonight. I yeah. probably got to get some sleep. I got to work in the morning. So, Tony, I sincerely appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. I'm going to put all the links. Shoot me over that website. We'll take care of it. People can follow the links, look into it, look into architects and engineers and see what work they're doing. The lawyers for 9-11, check those guys out and any type of work that people are doing to uncover you know, at least a new investigation or push in the right direction. You know, That's something worth looking into and vetting for yourself and supporting. And I'll send you the link to that project in Georgia's, Brian. Yeah, perfect. I appreciate it. Tony, open door. Anytime you want to come back, let's talk some Kennedy. Let's yeah, I here. I would like to. Yeah. I'm not, a- you know, it's been a long time since I did that. And I've been more involved in 9-11 the last 20 years. But, you know, it's, it's you have a good mind and your questions were solid. And I could see your mind going in places when I gave you a little tip. You started moving in the right place. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's all I try to do. I just try to steer the ship a little bit, and you're providing the fuel. Right, right. Well, <laughs> it's a joint effort, Brian. That way. We we did it. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. You have a great night. Okay. You too, Brian. Take care. Take care, Brian. All right, everyone. That was our show. Don't forget to leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. Like and follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date in all things wild and weird. Check out the links in the show notes for more information on our guests. The biggest support you can offer is to tell everyone about the podcast. Until next time.